Great reading, Tim. Thank you very much. If you can keep John 6 open, that will be really helpful. We're going to refer to the other passage uh, that Kate read for, for us as well, but uh, it'll be great to have, um, to have that one open. I'm going to pray and ask that God would help us understand what we've heard tonight. Heavenly Father, thank you for your living word. Uh, thank you, Father, that it's uh, alive tonight. We pray, Father, that it might break through into our lives and challenge us and change us to be more like Jesus. Be at work here, Father, by your Holy Spirit to do this, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Can I remind you as we start that uh, we have Q&A at the end. You guys already know that, don't you? Uh, can I encourage you? I love questions and we generally have a great time when we do them, don't we? This is good to start our interaction, church, so that's great. So can I encourage you, as you're going through, there's lots of things in tonight's sermon you might want to ask me some more about, so just think, or you might want to jot them down on the back of your Caring Connect card uh, so you don't forget them as we go through. Well, uh, if you ever done one of those things where you get everybody to sit in a circle with a new group and they go, why don't you introduce yourself? Has anyone had one of those awkward moments recently? Yes? Now, as you do that, my question is, what do you say about yourself when someone says, who are you? Don't all answer at once, that's okay. In fact, somebody asked me, why don't we do our two minutes with anymore? We should, we should probably do that again a couple of, uh, a couple of weeks. Uh, because when we do that, we get to know people a little bit. Here's the question though, what do you say? Who are you? Well, there are some ways that we formally capture who we are. Has anyone filled out a resume recently or, or put their resume together? Maybe you're looking for some work. If you've done that, you might have had that moment where you go, huh, who am I and what have I done? Oh, I've got an uh, external situation at the moment where somebody asked me for my resume and I had a heart attack. I was like, I don't know the last time I put my resume together. Uh, it was years and years ago. So long ago, in fact, I couldn't find a copy of my resume. I had to go and construct a timeline of my life to work out when certain things had happened so I could add dates in. You know, when did I finish high school? I can't remember. It's a long time ago, etc. So when you put a resume together, you're basically saying, here are my skills and talents. You might know someone about them from their resume. But there's a, uh, a saying that says, give me your wallet and your watch and I'll tell you who you are. Give me your wallet and your watch and I'll tell you who you are. Uh, so in other words, if you look at somebody's watch, their calendar or their wallet, their bank details, if you look at how they spend their time, and how they spend their money, you can pretty much work out a whole bunch of things about people. Well, if someone had your resume, if they had your calendar, if they had your bank balance, and I don't need to see any of those things, but if they had them, would there be enough evidence to convict you of being an apprentice to Jesus? So if they were looking at, here's the skills and gifts you've got, here's your, uh, the way you use your time, here is the way you use your finances, would they be able to conclude from those collection of pieces of information who you are? Are you, uh, are you able to be convicted as an apprentice to Jesus? We're thinking about. We've been talking about apprentices to Jesus, and if this is your first week, we're going to do a little refresher for you. To be an apprentice to Jesus, well, to be an apprentice generally, you need a master or a teacher, somebody who's in charge. You need to do some bookwork, so like TAFE or something like that. Uh, you need to do some prac work, and I've changed I think I've said last week was self-work, but I prefer homework. There's some stuff you need to do at home where you're integrating the things that you're learning on the job and the things that you're learning in your study. So as apprentices to Jesus, who is our master? Good answer, Peter. Yes, Jesus is our master. If we're talking about doing book work as an apprentice to Jesus, what's the book we need to be working with? 
Good, great. Yes, really good. The Bible, fantastic. If we're doing prac work here at New Life, we talk about giving the message of New Life and living New Life for Jesus. Not just people who hear the message, but people, people who do something about it. So that's the prac work. How about the homework? Okay, anyone remember what we said last time? That's right. Prayer is our homework where we try and integrate the doing and the learning together and we talk with our master, Jesus. So that's what it means to be apprentices to Jesus. But it's not easy. Well, at least I haven't always found it to be easy. What makes it tough? Well, the passages that we were, were, were read to us tonight give us two ideas uh, about areas where it might be tough. The first one uh, needs a little illustration. Um, does anyone follow the Formula One here? Anyone a Formula One fan? No. Formula One, just in our area, is not doing very well, it would, it would appear. <laughs> At any rate, how many, um, how many seats are there in a Formula One car? Great, that's all you really need to know, so that's perfect. What we're going to do today, I want you to think about who will be the master, who will have the driving seat in our car. Come back with me to Matthew chapter 6. If someone can find it and call out the page number, that'll be really helpful for us. Uh, Matthew chapter 6. Has anyone got that page number in the Bible? Matthew chapter 6. 971. Thank you very much, Kate. In, um, in Matthew chapter 6, we're going to have a look at verse 24. And in verse 24, we're going to see Jesus at his pithy best. This is where Jesus squeezes all his teaching down and it just emerges as one really tight, concise little thought. Have a look with me at verse 24. It says this. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, at one level, that's extremely simple, isn't it? There's only one seat in your heart. Okay, and either you're driving and you're following money, I guess, or alternatively, you've, you've enthroned Jesus there as the king in your heart. He's basically saying there's only one seat. There's only one seat on the, the throne in your heart. And uh, you're either serving God or money. Now, I don't know. You might think that you're serving something else. But Jesus says you can't serve both of these ones at the same time. And if you're trying to squeeze Jesus in next to money on the driver's seat, you'll generally career off the track and have a disastrous accident. And uh, most people aren't trying to squeeze Jesus in. They're just happy sitting there with money, I think, in the driver's seat. So it's hard because we've got to work out who will our master be. Secondly, it's hard because we have to work out what we're going to seek first. Uh, immediately after this, in uh, chapter 6 and verse 25, Jesus will tell us, expand on that idea a bit of God versus money. And he talks about uh, the birds of the air and the flowers of the field. Do you guys remember this from the reading before? So he says, basically, look at the birds of the air. Do they have a, a, a Walmart? Do they, do they have a Coles? Do they have... They don't have any barns to store their food in. And yet God feeds them. And then he says, look at the flowers of the field. They don't go down to Tajay or wherever it is. Uh, they don't have a shopping set, but they dressed better than Solomon. And then he says this incredible conclusion in verses 31 to 34. Have a look with me. Uh, so do not worry saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. 
See, Jesus is saying here something very specific. He tells us, seek the kingdom first. If we seek the kingdom first, we don't need to worry. Now, most of us will know worry in our lives, won't we? We know what it is to worry. And here Jesus is saying, if you seek first the kingdom, you won't need to worry. Why? Because by reminding yourself of the birds and the flowers, what you will remember is that God's got you. God's got you. He's in charge and he will graciously provide for us. So the challenge for Jesus' apprentices is to go, who will we seek first? Will we seek all these things of the world or will we seek the one who has our life in his hands? The third reason it can be challenging is working out where do we seek our satisfaction? For the people in the first century around the time of Jesus, their staple food was bread. You might think that's not very exciting. Anyone a bread fan? Love bread? Yes? Great. Fantastic. Hands down. Uh, In all of its various ways that it comes to us. Bread was the center food for them. We might say, I mean, I don't know, what what would we say the staple diet of Australia is? McDonald's chicken nuggets. (laughs) All right. I probably think that's about right. And a glass of Coke. Is that right, Australia? Fantastic. Um, It probably isn't, but that's a terrifying thought. For them, it was bread, okay? And in the section that we're coming to in John chapter 6, in John chapter 6, Jesus has just been out in the wilderness and teaching. And they were getting hungry in the afternoon, and they said, Jesus, where should we go to get food? And Jesus feeds them, 5,000 of them, bread in the desert, miraculously. And so they come back to Jesus, and they've got hungry tummies. They've got hungry tummies. And Jesus speaks to them. Have have a look at, um, so we're in uh, John chapter 6. Come back here to John chapter 6. In John chapter 6 and verses 26 to 27, we hear Jesus. The next day after the miracle, everyone turns back up, finds Jesus, and they go, we want you. Have a listen to what he says. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Basically, they came to him saying, hey, we loved that we didn't have to work hard to make this bread. We love that we had so much bread that there were baskets left over. We want you to do more of this kind of Moses miracles. Why is, it, um, why is it Moses' miracles? Well, you guys know that as they were wandering in the desert, the Israelites were wandering in the desert, God sent them food from heaven. Do you remember that? Anyone know the name? Manna. It's called manna. Does anyone know what the word manna means? What is it? Tim, go to the head of the class. Fantastic. Uh, so manna means what is it? It actually came down as kind of like um, uh, dewy kind of flakes on the ground. And they had to pick it up and then grind it and turn it into bread. And so I guess when they first saw it, they said, what is it? And they went, good name. It's called, what is it from now on? Okay. So here's the thing. In the desert, God provided under Moses' leadership food for them so they could make bread. And now Jesus has been out in the wilderness and he's made bread for them. And they're going, Jesus, if you can make some more bread for us, that'd be fantastic. We don't want to work for it. And our stomachs are hungry. Give us some more bread. And Jesus says, you know what, guys? I don't want to keep repeating that miracle because all of that food will, will spoil and waste away. Bread doesn't keep. Have you seen it go moldy recently? Maybe you eat it too quickly in your house, but we often, it's like, oh, this has got green spots on it. That's no good. 
don't work for the bread that spoils. Jesus says, I've got much, much more on offer for you. I actually have eternal life for you. (laughs) Having made that beautiful, wonderful statement, Jesus then gets into some of the hardest teaching that we have, I think, from Jesus' lips. So bear with me and we'll see if we can work through. The first thing that Jesus says kind of makes sense. He says, very truly I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. And we know Jesus says this sort of thing. Does anyone know John 3.16? Uh, 3, what does John 3.16 say? Okay, great. We have a song going on over here. We have a different song going on over here. Here's the thing, that everyone who believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That's right. But it's believing that gives us eternal life. So when Jesus says a very ordinary thing, it's extraordinary, but we're familiar with it. Whoever believes in me has eternal life. We kind of go, that's fine. But I think Jesus really wanted to press the people who went, sure. We're not really interested though, Jesus. We're actually really interested in bread. Have you got any bread? We'd like bread. So Jesus kind of turns it up to 11. And this is what he eventually says at the end of this passage. He says, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will rise them up, raise them up at the last day. And everyone goes, what? What are you talking about, Jesus? Did you guys hear this when the reading went through? What were you thinking when Jesus says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you won't live forever? I reckon we start to freak out, don't we? What are you saying, Jesus? And and, and if you've been brought up on particular games or movies or whatever, what are you worried about when he says, eat my flesh and drink my blood? It's the evening service. What are we? Zombies. Okay, great. Thank you, Kate. I see that hand. I reckon I tried this at the wrong service this morning. I tried it at 10.30. And I think everybody thought I was introducing zombies into the equation. But you're thinking about zombies, aren't you? Eat my flesh and drink my blood. That's what you're thinking about. So what on earth has zombies and Jesus got to do together here? It just sounds too weird, doesn't it? On top of this, here's a bonus piece of information for you guys. Do you know what the Jews would never, ever eat with their meat? They would never, ever eat meat that has blood in it. Did you know that? They were absolute stickers. You had to have no blood in your meat. Because they said, in the blood is the life. So when the blood is on the ground, the life of the animal has been expired, right? So here Jesus is saying, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And I reckon for the Jews, they would have been totally freaking out. What are you saying, Jesus? Well, in between these two statements is one that brings them together. In John chapter 6, verse 48, he says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Basically, Jesus is saying, I'm manna. I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Where, how will Jesus give his flesh for the life of the world? There's a big prop behind me to help with this answer. Sorry? It's the cross. On the cross, Jesus will give his flesh for the world. Jesus will give his flesh for the world. And there, his blood, his life will be poured out for us so that we might live forever. So what Jesus is saying is, it is about belief and it is about drinking from his blood. But what he's saying is, it'll happen on the cross. It's by believing fully in what Jesus has done on the cross 
that you will be saved. So it's kind of like this, a bit like diving into this, in this picture here. It's not about blood, but it is about a belief that is all in with Jesus' death. And that's how you'll get eternal life. Now, is that teaching hard? It's pretty hard. Have a look how it worked out for Jesus. I reckon he was intending this, so he's not surprised. But have a look what happened in verse 60. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? So basically what happened in verse 66, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Now that's a successful day at church, isn't it? Right? Hey, everybody, come and hear my radical teaching. How wonderful. Hang on, hang on. No, no, you guys didn't come to hear my teaching, did you? You came for bread. So Jesus goes, well, I'm going to turn the teaching up to 11. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. Everyone goes, whoa, we're out. See you later, Jesus. And that was actually what he wanted. Not hangers-on who were seeking satisfaction for themselves, but people who would genuinely dive, who genuinely want all of Jesus. Well, that was 2,000 years ago. What's it like today? What makes following Jesus hard today? Well, let me suggest some things that I've been thinking about. Superficiality, now that's a long word. What do I mean? We have a society that is always saying, like me. Thumbs up, click on, follow me, like me. We're we're all about likes. I've got 500 friends, but nobody knows me. We're, We're a mile wide, but an inch deep. We long, apparently, for intimacy, but we never let anyone in. And so we say, well, I don't really want you to know me. Stay, stay away. Our society operates in superficiality. Secondly, time. I think for many of us, when, we're, when we come home from whatever we've been doing through the day, it's just like, leave me alone. I'm all done. My, my whole day is used up. Some of you will have commutes. Some of you will have uh, lots of sport and things afterwards. By the time you come home again, you're like, man, I'm done. Please don't expect any more from me, Jesus. I put it all on the plate today. My time's done. What about responsibility? Uh, for, For many of us, we have responsible things to do through the day. So some of you will have responsible positions at school. Some of you will have responsible positions in your workplace. And when you come home, you don't go, man, I want more responsibility. What we do is we come home and we switch off and we switch on, don't we? Entertain me, baby. Give me my Netflix, give me my YouTube, whatever it is. I've I've disconnected my brain and I just want to be entertained. I want to blob at home. I don't want any more responsibility. And when it comes to church, man, don't ask too much of me. Do you know how much I put in through the rest of the week? I don't don't need any more responsibility. What about the fourth one? The fourth one is to do with energy. And um, I think this is about how much energy we have left to follow Jesus. See, if we've spent it all at work, at school, through the week, we kind of get to the point where we say, hey man, I've just come to, to church. I've done really well to be here. Can you just plug in the, um, <laughs> the intravenous spiritual drip? Right? Just fill me up with some Jesus stuff, can you? So I can get on back to my week, right? I'll take my little shot of Jesus stuff and then I'm done. See, people, when people change churches, I mean, I, I hear this all the time. People say, I wasn't getting fed at the church. That's the reason I changed. I wasn't getting fed. And I say, right, that's very interesting. Do you know what? I'm going to try and feed you here. But if you don't have an appetite, if you'll never pursue it, if you don't digest any of the food you receive here, if you're not involved in your spiritual development, then I can't help you. I think our world says, feed me. And Jesus says, follow me. What about models? 
Not, gee, you're so professionally good looking. Not, not that, right? But, but people that we follow, right? So we're going to be apprentices to Jesus. And we can't see Jesus here. So what we need is people to follow. People who are passionately committed to following Jesus. And you go, well, who could I follow? And all of us go, don't look at me, right? I mean, not me. You could follow anyone else, really, except for me. Don't look at me. I'm not a model for following Jesus. Well, that would be a tragedy, wouldn't it? Because then we'd have how many models? None, wouldn't we? If we're all pointing away from ourselves, how will we have any models to follow? And so I, I want to suggest to you that to follow Jesus in our day and age, we are swimming against the stream. We're swimming, swimming against the stream of our culture. And it doesn't quite spell stream, but it's close, right? Superficiality, time, responsibility, energy, models. Tim, you, you suggested an A to me. What was it? Sorry? And? And, and models. That's nice. Okay, well done. I, I, I think, I think Tim, we had a discussion about this. I reckon you said something like the ability to opt out, our willingness to just opt out of society. And so at any rate, when you want to say, I'm following Jesus, the, the culture pushes against you and says, don't try hard. Don't make an effort. Just blob it out, baby. And so when Jesus says, be an apprentice to me, I mean, isn't it just a bit unreasonable? Really, Jesus? Do you know how tired I am. Well, let's think about what did Jesus really expect anyway? I mean, if we look at it, what did he actually want from people who were going to follow him? What I'm going to do is going to give you some passages. There's a few of them. Bear with me. What I want to show you is that what Jesus called people to was a a huge, a a, a very significant life of obedience. And, And it kind of addresses all of these things that we saw. We saw the other week, Jesus is walking by the sea and he sees the guys and he says, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And so he says, I'm going to be your model, but you will have responsibility. So there's no apprenticeship to Jesus where you go, cool, I'm in Jesus, just don't ask anything of me. He says, if you follow me, you are a fisher of men. Do you see? And then we see it again last week when the disciples of John the Baptist came to Jesus And Jesus said that famous, what do you want? And he didn't say it like that. And they said, where are you staying? And he said, come and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent time with him. What's the answer there? Well, Jesus says, I will model for you, but it will take time. Come live with me. It's an invitation into relationship. And so Jesus, to be an apprentice to Jesus is to follow him and to have your, your whole life interrupted by this following of Jesus. Well, what, what else does he say? Well, he actually says it's not a life of luxury. It's not a life of bread provided miraculously. It's actually a, well, this is what he says in Luke 9, 23. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. Do you, do you think following Jesus is easy? Well, Jesus says, if it's easy, you've, you've left something at home. If you're following me, wh- where did the cross take Jesus? What, what happened to Jesus on the cross? You know this. He died there. So when he tells us to take up our cross and follow him, we, we can't say, Jesus, I'd like a luxurious disciple. Do you have an apprenticeship that's cross-free? I like that, Jesus. Do you have one that is without hardship? And Jesus says, I don't have any apprenticeship like that to offer. If you will follow me, I want you to take up your cross. 
there is a model, but there is also a huge responsibility. Jesus says in John 14, not only that there's a huge responsibility, but that there are huge resources for us. He doesn't just load you up. He actually wants to help you. Listen to what he says in John 14. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you, to be with you forever. The spirit of truth. I will not leave you as orphans, he says. I will come to you. See, Jesus wants to know us. He wants to take up residence inside us. You can't be superficial with Jesus because he'll live inside you. More than that, he wants to empower you in your life. When his Holy Spirit comes into our life, happens for every believer in Jesus, then he will empower you to say no to sin and yes to righteousness. He will help you live a holy life. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do. And so he'll give you a new energy to follow him. Two more. Jesus tells us to go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that he has commanded us. And then he says, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Here's the thing. Jesus gives us responsibility. How long do we have to make disciples for? When do we stop making disciples? When he returns. When Jesus returns on clouds of glory, he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. You can stop now. But until then, this responsibility is the responsibility of everyone who's an apprentice to Jesus. It'll take some time. Jesus, I know you're big on the whole making apprentices thing, but look, if you, I can fit you in on Tuesday. I reckon I've got a couple of hours. No, I've got 40. I've got half an hour on Tuesday at lunchtime. Would, would that be okay? It's not what he's looking for. But we see that the early church was all in with Jesus. They dived in. Have a look what it says in Acts 2. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all his people. See, how do people get from a nice chat at supper? Please keep chatting at supper. How do we get to know each other? How do we get past the superficial? When we eat together. How often did they eat together? They met together daily. It'll take time. It'll involve getting beyond the superficial. Now, we can't meet together every day, I don't think. I don't think we can. But at least once a week outside of Sunday, that would be good. And in our life groups, we try and eat together. And they are beautiful times. And so my encouragement to you would be, see if you can find yourself in a life group. Because there you will find, as we get to know each other, models. People who are struggling to follow Jesus, just like you. Who you can go, I want to be like them, as they're being more and more like Jesus. So I want to ask you tonight, does the kingdom of God shape any part of your life? As apprentices to Jesus, are we serving God or money? Are we serving God or money? And, and I ask you, does your resume record that? You've got lots of skills. You've got lots of skills. Are any of the skills and talents that you have being used for God's glory? If they are used for making money, that's fine. Please do. But we want you to be serving God and we would love to encourage you to be putting them at God's disposal. Uh, we have our partnership course coming up um, next week. If you're not serving already, we would love to encourage you to use your skills to serve God here. So are we serving God or money? Secondly, I like this one. Are we working for bread or for dough? Are we working for bread or for dough? What would our bank statements state about our faith? If we got to look at your finances, and kids, I know that maybe you're just getting pocket money. How exciting. 
does God get a look in on the way that our money is used? You see, all the money that we have is whose money? It's God's money first. And he says, I can do you a great deal, right? He says, I can give you all of your money back. Um, I'll just keep 10% of my money. I can give 90% back to you. That's a pretty good arrangement, isn't it? It's all God's money in the first place. And so my question is, are you working for bread that will last to eternal life? Or are you working for dough, storing up your treasure on earth here? Well, thirdly, I want to ask, are we building God's kingdom or my kingdom? If I was to look at your calendar, what does your calendar reveal about your priority? It's tough to say this tonight because guess what? You guys are at church. Well done. That's fantastic. I'm actually talking to everyone who isn't here tonight. So why don't you just have a little smug sit there for a second and just go, oh, this point doesn't apply to me. No, no, no. What, what I want to encourage you is, does God have priority in your life? Would I see that if I looked outside of Sunday night that you are putting God first? How would you? Well, I was thinking about the different kinds of apprenticeship that you can do. And um, I thought of a hairdressing apprenticeship. Uh, has anyone here done a hairdressing apprenticeship? Uh, we found this morning there was one. Um, you should ask Nelson about his hair cutting skills. Uh, fantastic. Um, so he's a hairdresser. Here's what I want to ask you. I want you to think about the kingdom of God. And I want you to think about what would you make permanent in your life? What's a permanent change that you could take? And what's something that you could cut out? What's something that you could cut out for the kingdom? So have a perm or a cut, right? All right? So what... No one wants a perm, is that what you're saying? (laughs) So what I want you to do is to think about what could I lock into my life? If I was going to make the kingdom of God my priority, what would it look like? Now, I'm an organized person. I have a to-do list in uh, in my day every day. And one of the things I put on that list is read and pray. And it's my personal commitment to God that I will read and pray. I will tick that pit off my to-do list before I do anything else. Before I do anything else on my to-do list. That's my permanent commitment to God. I will, uh, let me get a little bit more kind of like into evening service mode. Um, when I open my phone in the morning, I'm going to look at my prayer app before I go to my social media. Before I go to my news. That's what it looks like in my life to seek the kingdom first. Now, do I want to see how many people like, of course, but seek first the kingdom. Take practical, permanent steps to be putting God first in your life. It was a funny thing, you know, everybody left Jesus uh, after his hard teaching and he turned to his 12. He says, do you want to leave too? Jesus asked the 12. Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Guys, what I want to say to you tonight is Jesus is offering us an apprenticeship. If you're looking for a loaf of bread miraculously provided and an easy path, that's not the kind of apprenticeship Jesus has for us. But what he does offer is a cross with eternal life. Peter goes, where else are we going to go? You only have the bread of eternal life. So tonight, guys, I want to say to you, Jesus is calling and he's asking us to make kingdom choices. What will you choose to put first in your life because you are following Jesus. Growing and maturing apprentices is our focus for next year. And what I want you to do more and more and more is a Jesus apprenticeship. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, your Son has called us to something hard but glorious. 
Father, I thank you that you won't leave us on our own, but your Holy Spirit will dwell in us and help us. Help us tonight to make radical, adventurous choices to seek first the kingdom. Father, help us to put you first as we join in an apprenticeship to Jesus together. For we ask it in his name. Amen.